Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, associate pastor here, and I too would like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad that you got up an extra hour early to be with us. Uh, I figure we've got another crowd that'll be joining us in about 15 minutes. Uh, those that forgot to change their clocks or whose clocks let them down. We'll put it that way. Well, if you're just now joining us, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we continue there this morning. Uh, we're now in the the last third of Mark's gospel, all of that, uh, that part of his, his account of Jesus' life and ministry is now focusing on the last week, the last week of Jesus' life uh, leading up to the crucifixion. And we, we landed here just a, a few weeks ago, beginning, uh, the beginning of chapter 11 with the triumphal entry, uh, Mark presenting Jesus as king, uh, riding into the city of Jerusalem. And then after that, the cleansing of the, the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. And then last week, we began with a series of confrontations that take place within the temple. Uh, Jesus in the temple and being confronted uh, over and over again by, by various groups of the religious elite there. Uh, he is challenged by the chief priests, teachers of the law, elders, Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees. And today he's confronted one more time. But today he's confronted not by a group, but by an individual, by one person. He's confronted by one of the scribes in Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 through 34. It's found on page 848, if you're using the Pew Bible. And most likely there, there's a note at the, the, the head of your section calling this either the great or the greatest commandment. Mark chapter 12, and you see it strikes me because before we even get into the text, there's a problem. There, there, there's a strike against us, and that you already know this passage. You already know it. You're, you're so familiar with the text that you probably don't even hear it anymore. I bet if I were to ask, uh, the majority of you would know if I said, what is the greatest commandment? You might not be able to get all the words exactly, but you'd say, well, I think it's basically love God and love your neighbor. And you'd be right. Well, as I've been wrestling with the familiarity of that, it, it made me think of when Heather and I moved to Vancouver, Canada about 10 years ago. We moved from a, a quiet suburban uh, city, quiet suburban area, I should say, uh, in North Carolina, moved into the big city of Vancouver, and we moved right into the heart of a commercial district. Uh, we were living on, on two streets that intersect, intersected at the very heart of this commercial district in Vancouver. And it was noisy. I mean, the, the hustle and bustle, whether that would be crowds of people passing by, taxi cabs, buses. And at first, we heard everything. We'd be having dinner. It was hard to, to pay attention over some, sometimes over the noise outside of our apartment window. Uh, but even more so at night, every single noise we heard at first. But then we got familiar with it. We didn't hear it anymore. And that's our challenge this morning, is to come to a place in God's Word that we're so familiar with that we may struggle to hear it. And yet we need to. We need to hear this Word of God's. We need to hear that our, our minds might be renewed. We need to hear that our, 
our hearts would be transformed, that, that our lives would be enlivened by the gospel of God's grace. And so let's take a moment to pray and to ask that God would, would help us to hear him. And then let's come before his word as he speaks to us. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have given us your word. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak life into us. And we need you to, to meet us in a place that is familiar for many. We need you to meet us in a, in a morning where we have lost an hour of sleep. We need you to awaken us to your word. We need you to open your word to us. And so we come to you asking for your mercy and your grace that we would hear and that we would be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God from Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of God. Well, our passage breaks nicely into three sections, and so that's how we'll approach it this morning. Uh, verse 28, a conflict. Uh, verses 29 to 31, a command. And verses 32 to 34, the cross. So a conflict, a command, and the cross. And so we'll start with the conflict. Uh, verse 28 says that one of the scribes heard them disputing or debating. Again, what we, the, the place where we come in Mark's gospel, it's a series of confrontations with various groups of religious and political elite challenging Jesus' authority. Uh, where we ended last week, just most recently, Jesus having answered the Sadducees, their challenge to the resurrection. Each challenger seeks to undo Jesus, to, to undermine his authority. I mean, come on, who do you think you are? We are the credentialed religious leaders. This is God's temple with which we have been, over which we have been given charge. Who do you think you are? And then over and over and over again, Jesus answers each challenger skillfully, pointedly, wisely. 
And each time, the challenger is silenced. And then here, as Mark notes in verse 34, all are silenced by Jesus' response this time. For it says, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Well, as I was reading over the text this week, and I got to that last part of the last verse, it it reminded me of a class I had in seminary uh, with J.I. Packer. Uh, Many of you are familiar with Dr. Packer, one of the foremost evangelical scholars of the the last half of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, someone who has committed his life to defending and articulating historic Christian belief. This particular class Dr. Packer was teaching was on the Trinity. I do remember that. And at the end, he opened it up for questions. First question came from the back of the room. A fellow student challenged historic Orthodox evangelical theology, challenged Dr. Packer. I don't remember exactly what the question was, but I do remember Dr. Packer's response. He said something like this, young man, you are moving in the dangerous direction of heresy. Are there any other questions? No one dared to ask him any more questions. Because you see, clearly Dr. Packer was the authority in the classroom. You you didn't need to challenge him because he had given his life to this. And where we are in Mark's gospel, Mark is presenting Jesus clearly as the authority. The authority in God's place, the authority about God's presence because this is God himself. But there's another conflict here. It's found in the scribe's question. Which commandment is the most important of all? In other words, what do I need to do? What what matters most? What matters most? And and you know, this is a question that all of of us ask in, in one form or another. We all ask questions like, What do I need to do to be free? Or what what do I need to do to make life work? What do I need to do so that life will be manageable and maybe even meaningful? What do I need to do? Makes me think of uh, top-selling books, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, So often, uh, the top-selling category in any given year are self-help books. Self-help books. I I thought of a couple. Now, one of these is not actually a self-help book, but I think it's been turned to as such. The two books that came to my mind this week, I remembered about 20 years ago being introduced to a book probably many of you are familiar with, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A great book. So I'm, I'm not down on either one of the books I'm going to mention. Uh, great book. And another book uh, in, the, in the 2000s that came out, more on spiritual growth, but I think has been grasped as a sort of self-help book, Purpose Driven Life. Now again, I think both of these are great books, but why is it? that these books sell millions and millions and millions and millions of copies. Well, I'm sure there's several reasons, but, but one of them is that this often points to our desire to make life manageable and meaningful. Can I just figure it out? I mean, if you put a number in a book title, three steps, two, or five of this or seven, people flock to it. Just give me a manageable list so that I can figure it out and get it right. 
We want to know that we're doing the right thing, that we're headed in the right direction. Nobody wants to go down the wrong road. And so often this question within us, it points to an inner conflict. The inner conflict expressed with, by that question, what do I need to do? And Jesus answers with essentially one word, love. Love. And that leads to our second point, a command, verses 29 to 31. And we get to the command by way of the question, what do I need to do? Which command is the most important? Now, this is not a trick question. Now, this man is not testing Jesus in the same way that these other groups have been approaching him. Uh, rather, this is a sincere question. This is a question that all of these various groups would be asking and, and, and talking about over and over and over uh, throughout their days, throughout their weeks. Because you see, the religious law experts, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes, as this man is, they had worked their way through God's law, through, their, through, through the Hebrew scriptures, what we know today as the Old Testament. And they had counted 613 commands, 365 prohibitions, plus 248 requirements. 613 total commands. Now that is a big to-do list. If you have a book title that says 613 ways to, you're probably not going to go buy that book. It's going to feel a little weighty. And that's how the law felt to all of these people. The weight, the magnitude. And so they were always debating, discussing what they referred to as heavy versus light. Which ones are heavy? Which ones are light? Which ones take precedent over the others? Well, it says in verse 28 that the scribe had seen that Jesus answered each challenge well. And so now he wants to hear Jesus' perspective on what matters most. So he asks, which command is the most important? And Jesus answers, picking back up, verse 29. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, here Jesus highlights two passages in the Old Testament. Now, that, that would not be a surprise to them. In fact, that's what they were asking. Where in our scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, can we get the pinnacle, the most important thing? But what Jesus highlights is he highlights a passage from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. He's, he skillfully goes to those first five books of the Bible, as was pointed out last week, the Pentateuch, because they didn't all agree on what made up the Hebrew scriptures, but they did all agree on these first five books. And so the, the first of these passages uh, being a version, a version of a central Jewish prayer known as the Shema. The Shema, which simply means hear, listen, this is it, hear it and understand and follow. 
here. That's why it begins, Hear, O Israel. And this would be a prayer that they would pray over and over throughout their day. And then, of course, picking up, following uh, with a passage from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says what matters most is to love God and to love other people. That's it. That's all you have to do. Everything else will follow. I think it was St. Augustine that said, love and then do as you please. Because everything else will follow. Jesus emphasizes the law of love. And what he's doing is he's summarizing the Ten Commandments, the the pinnacle of God's law. Now we often think of, of God's law as a bunch of impersonal rules and regulations, just like many of the people in the temple here in our passage did. Feeling the weight under the demand, feeling the crushing weight of them. But at the heart of God's law is relationship. Relationship. The Ten Commandments speak directly into personal relationships. You see, law in the Old Testament, it is a wonderfully comprehensive word. uh, Referring to everything God wants us to know about himself and everything God wants us to know about being in right relationship with him and with other people. How life is meant to be. How God relates to us and how we are meant to relate to him and to others. And so Jesus summarizes the the two tablets or the two tables of the Ten Commandments. Maybe uh, that gives you visions of Charlton Heston. And maybe that's actually a helpful uh, image for you right now. Two large stone tablets. Jesus summarizes each because on, on the one we have commandments one to four about our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And then on the other, commandments 5 to 10, our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people. The two tables summarized. Love God, love neighbor. But you know as well as I do that we fail miserably at living out the great command. We fail miserably at the law of love. I mean, think about it for a moment. When was the last time that you sought to look good before other people? Maybe posture yourself, even just a little bit, seeking their approval so that you could feel better about yourself. When was the last time you did that? Looking for your identity to be defined by someone else other than God. God's word tells us that's idolatry. That's a breaking of one tablet of the commandment. That's not love toward God. When was the last time that you got angry with someone? Jesus says that that's murder. That's murder in our hearts. When was the last time you were anxious and not trusting Jesus? Or you said a harsh word to a family member or friend? Or you deceived someone, maybe just a little bit? Or you didn't forgive somebody? When was the last time? Because if it wasn't this morning already, it was probably yesterday. Sinclair Ferguson, pastor and professor, writes this. Jesus' answer underlines the fact that any man's attempt to measure himself against the law 
for his own assurance is bound to lead to disaster because the very first law requires comprehensive, universal, undiluted love for God with every ounce of one's being. And it carries with it a clear implication. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. For God made man in his image. And to love God implies that we will also love everything which reflects him in any way. And Ferguson goes on to say, Jesus' answer emphasizes the fact that God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. Do you feel the weight of that? Again, we fail miserably at living out this commandment, the law of love. Heather and I have been married for nearly 15 years, and I don't think I will ever forget our premarital counseling. Uh, we, we were actually in, in a pretty rough season in our relationship. It was a, a difficult and challenging uh, engagement for us. And so we sought out a, a pastor to, to, to walk us through, to, to, help us, uh, to help us to find hope, to help us to learn to love each other. And so I remember one day, I don't know if I had called ahead and set up an appointment or if I was just over at the church, but Randy, the pastor that was counseling us, I, I had a moment just one-on-one -on -one with him. And I went in and I explained, Randy, I'm, I'm really struggling to make this work. I know it's supposed to work correctly. Could you just, you know, help me out a little bit? What do I need to do? And Randy looked at me and he said, love her. No, 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 Randy, okay, you didn't hear my question. Like, what, you know, just a few steps, what would be helpful right now? What, what would help me in this? Love her. Okay, I should have picked another pastor to help me out. This is getting frustrating. Okay, Randy, what do you mean? Camper, you're going to have to figure that out. And what Randy was doing was, on the one hand, he was affirming something that I already knew, something that I... I already recognized and desired, and that is the necessity of love for a right relationship. But he was doing something else, something that I, I was having a hard time coming to grips with, a hard time seeing. He was exposing, helping to expose my inability to love. My inability to love in and of myself. He wanted me to see my present continual need of Jesus Every moment of every day. Not just yesterday, but today. And not just today, but tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Well, I'm a slow learner. So there was another lesson for me that same week. I lived with my, my good friend Dan. Uh, we were in campus ministry together. So I came home one evening, and Dan knew all about the struggles, knew that we were getting premarital counseling from Randy, and was just a, a real faithful companion and encourager. And he said, Caper, you know, how's it going? How, how are you and Heather doing? And I thought, oh, good, now I get a sympathetic ear. I said, Dan, I'm, I'm trying really hard, but I just, I just don't feel like I'm loving Heather like I should. Waiting over those words of encouragement, you're doing fine, or hang in there, or it'll get better. Instead, Dan looked at me and said, you're right, you don't. 
You don't love Heather like you should, and you never will. And you don't love Jesus like you should, and you never will. And that's why you need him. So what about you? Do you recognize the utter necessity of love? The utter necessity of love for right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. And you may recognize that, but do you realize your complete inability to love? I mean, do you really realize that you can't do it on your own? Your complete inability to love God, to love others in and of yourself. Well, the scribe in our passage may be coming to grips with this truth for the first time. And that leads to our final point, the cross. Verses 32 to 34. The scribe responds to Jesus' answer. The scribe has asked the question, what matters most? Jesus has answered, love God, love your neighbor. The scribe responds, picking back up. Verse 32, and the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Did you notice what the scribe added here? I mean, at first it seems like he is, he is just simply repeating back to Jesus, yes, you have answered well, and this is what you have said, but he, he adds. The scribe says that, yes, to love God and to love neighbor, into verse 33, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see... Central to the temple, central to temple worship was Israel's sacrificial system given to them by God. And this scribe has dedicated his life to understanding, to articulating, to teaching about it, and to getting it right. And now, for the first time, he is beginning to realize its inadequacy to completely cover sin. That love is greater than any sacrifice. And Jesus sees that the scribe answers wisely and well. For the scribe is beginning to realize that something much bigger, something much better, something much more beautiful, something beyond the sacrificial system of the temple is necessary to fully and finally forgive sin and reconcile God and man. The very thing that Tim shared with us that was needed for this this young woman's heart as she was in, in Bible college. To know that there was one full and final sacrifice. And Jesus says to this scribe, verse 34, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. He's moved closer, but he's not yet there. He's begun to recognize his inability to love God and others. But he's not yet realized his need of Jesus. And do you feel the tension? I mean, can you see the scene 
Here is the scribe. On the one hand, eternally, he's almost got it. But physically, right in front of him, he could literally step out, walk over to, and touch the God of the universe. The presence of God is in the temple and is standing right in front of him. Well, the scribe is starting to connect the dots. He's starting to put things together. He's wrestling with this. So why then doesn't Jesus tell him how all the dots connect, how all the the pieces of the puzzle go together? Why didn't he do it? Because in just a few days, Jesus will show him how it all fits together. In a few days, Jesus will die on a cross for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God for all those who would look to him in faith. Are you looking to Jesus? Are you looking to him? Not just yesterday. Are you looking to him today? And for tomorrow and for the day after that and for eternity? You see, the only way we can begin to love God and love neighbor is to start at the cross. God's word teaches that genuine love in our hearts is generated by an awareness of his love for us. Nowhere is the love of God more clearly revealed, more clearly on display than at the cross. And by faith, it is the indwelling spirit of Jesus who convinces and transforms our hearts in love to love. You see, the law of love is the greatest commandment. And in the words of the Apostle John, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And thus we love because he first loved us. And thus we are enabled to love. Because he first loved us. Thanks be to God.